All right, man. Hey, Charles, I want to welcome you uh, and thank you for coming on. I'll tell you, when Zach approached me a while back and said we want to start a start a podcast, you were one of the first people I said we got to get Charles on there. You know, I tried to get Joe Anderson. Joe's still giving me the cold shoulder. He didn't want to talk to anybody yet. But I said, Charles <laughs> is a guy that's been doing this. You know, do you remember, Charles, I don't know. You may not know. Do you know who Barbara Mandrell was? She was a country western singer. She had a song. Yeah, I've was, heard the name. So she had a song that was called I Was Country When Country Wasn't Cool, right? And I ain't going to sing it to you because I'm an awful singer. But Charles was like, he was carnivore when carnivore wasn't cool. <laughs> or zero yeah, carb, yeah, as, we, yeah. as, as you guys, as you've been, as you've you kind of chosen that name. But Charles, you've been doing this diet now for going on, I think in August, you'll be at 11 years, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's right. And let me, and I know you were kind of initially, you, and, and I'll tell you, I want to thank Charles because Charles has been, you know, a lot of people are, are asking me saying I started, and I, there's no way I didn't start this stuff. I've been kind of, you know, promoting it pretty heavily, but Charles has been doing this stuff for 10 years. And there's people, you know, even before Charles and there's, you know, there's, you know, there's guys that we can go back a long, long time that have kind of discovered this thing, but Charles did a really great service. He started a Facebook group called Zeroing In On Health after he kind of parted ways with kind of a Jimmy Moore low carb form that just didn't fit well and so they, they they branched off made their own group and then now the last i looked you guys are over nineteen thousand members you're the largest group of of you know the zero carb carnivore group on the planet you've got all these people that have been doing this for years and years and years and dispensing wonderful advice and i and, and i follow that stuff you know when i went on joe rogan's show and he was like what you got your information from facebook i said well yeah i did <laughs> and it was it was charles charles's group that i was i was just you know it was fascinating to me because i was seeing stuff like these medical conditions that don't normally go away things like arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis particularly these are things that i i had always known as a western medicine doctor to be chronically progressive and they don't go away and i was seeing reversal of this stuff and not just once or twice but you know, duplicated tens and dozens and even hundreds of times. And that's what really piqued my interest. And I want to thank Charles for, you know, just having that group and making it public so people like myself can wander in there and go, wait a minute, and start to say, wait a minute, there's something here. And so, Charles, I just wanted to thank you for that stuff. And I, and it's, it's, I want to give you as much credit as I possibly can for being one of the, one of the true pioneers, you know, at least in this movement. Now, probably there's some Inuit woman up there in, in Greenland laughing at all of us saying, what are you talking about? 10 years? I've been doing it for 80 years. You know? yeah. So exactly. you've got to think about yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know. I think I think if we could get a hold of one of those old Inuit, Inuit grandmothers and ask her some questions, it'd be a great interview if we could speak the language. But, you know, we always have these, what do I do about cramps? All of a sudden, they probably got some ancient remedy that works just fine that we don't know about, but it's interesting. So, right. Char Charles, can you briefly, because, you know, and, and not to take too much time, but just kind of tell us what, what drove you 11 years ago to say, hey, I'm going to go eat just meat. I mean, that's crazy. What, what prompted you to do that stuff? Um, I started off, I think 2006, you know, I went to, you, you, I've got a wife, so she bugged me to go to the doctor, all this kind of stuff. I go, I'm pre-diabetic, overweight, all of that. So I started this low fat diet and I lost a ton of weight. I, I was 221. I got down to like 160, I think. Um, and, or no, no, no. Yeah. Something like that. 160, 170. And I got there and I was starving and you know i looked in the mirror and i kind of, you know i had these love handles i was skinny but i just kind of looked funny so then i read on you know i started to go to the gym and you know work out a little bit lift some weights and stuff and i found the more that i lifted weights and the more that i worked out this like the more hungry i got i mean i was starving i was dreaming about food between meals ir irritable the whole works right 
So I read something on the internet and it was saying that people on low carb diets tend to preserve muscle, whereas low fat diets, you know, they lose muscle, that kind of thing. So that sort of piqued my interest. So immediately I went to like an Atkins type of thing. I started on induction. I never climbed the carb ladder, but I just sort of stayed there. And immediately the weight started. Oh, I was going to say when I did the low fat and I started working out, my weight started to go back up. So it went all the way from that 160 or whatever, all the way back to like 200. So I'm thinking now I'm getting scared because I'm going back to right where I was. And all I did was just start to work out. I was still doing my portion control and all that kind of stuff, but I'm gaining weight. So as soon as I started this carbohydrate restriction with Atkins, the weight started going the other way almost immediately. And then I found that the less I worked out, if I worked out even less, I was losing even more weight. So it was kind of counterproductive to anything I had thought. So here I was losing weight. I wasn't ever hungry. I could eat all the meat and stuff that I wanted and everything was good. Then I read uh, Gary Taub's book and I read some Stefanson. And then that sort of gave me the suggestion that, hey, I don't even need the plants, which I didn't like much anyway. And so it was a no brainer then. So then I just sort of took to it like a fish to water, just eat meat. And then I could work out. I could run again. I could do all the stuff I used to do. And I got down to my high school weight and I was sold. So. You know, and, and and you've been doing this again almost eleven years, and now without these these magical plant phytonutrients, you haven't developed scurvy, you haven't de- developed nutrient deficiencies. Now, surely, Charles, you know, to to do exercise, you need plenty of carbohydrates. Have you found that to be true, or, or have you found that not to be the case? Not to be the case at all. Um, I didn't have. You know, the things that people talk about, you know, going through the adaptation period, I read about it, I read Finney's studies on cycling and all of that stuff, and I was thinking that was going to be an issue, but for me, it never was. I mean, I was able to immediately keep running, I was still running fast. Um, doing all the stuff that I'd done prior to. I really literally took to it like a fish to water. It was quite amazing. I just did two marathons last year. I did the Marine Corps marathon. And then three weeks later, I did the Philadelphia marathon. I was like six minutes away from a Boston qualifier. There was no carbs. I didn't even drink during the things. I just ran them. Okay. And it, it was amazing. So, yeah. And that's, and you are, and if, if I'm not mistaken, Charles, you're close to my age. You're, you're, you're around 50. Is that correct? Yeah, just turned 50 January 1st. Happy birthday. Nice to you. January 1st, that's a pretty cool birthday. So as you know, as you probably know, Zach knows a little bit about running, and he's he's kind of pioneering some low-carb stuff. But I think Zach will find that interesting that you've run an entire marathon without even taking a sip of water with zero carbohydrate. I think that's fascinating. Zach, any comments on that? Yeah, I think – so here's, here's kind of where I always kind of thought about the marathon was like – it's kind of that interesting distance for people who are following like the standard American diet or a high carbohydrate diet because um, it's just long enough that you can deplete your glycogen stores and it's just fast uh-huh. enough that you can pretty easily do that. Um, sure. So then people are trying to figure out, well, how much do I have to eat to kind of stave that off just long enough so I can you know, collapse across the finish line. And right. um, my thought has always been like we can probably push that back far enough where you could do a marathon on, you know, little to no fuel and not really deplete your glycogen stores. It's more about like getting fat adapted enough so that you kind of preserve the um, the glycogen stores at a little bit of a higher rate at kind of those marathon paces. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, that's always been really interesting, and it's it's. Uh, I would like to hear like, um, so you didn't drink anything during the marathon either? 
No, not at all. And it was cool. I, I put uh, up on the group, I think after the Philadelphia Marathon, I put the last five or six miles. I put my splits up there. And I was actually running like negative splits the last six miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're talking like eight minute miles for me. Um, you know, and it, it was quite incredible. I, at the end, I don't collapse across. I was able to walk away, you know, just fine, just like run a half. Part of that's training. I mean, I got to, when I get towards the end of the year, when all the big races are, Practically, I'm running like eight miles every morning. I get up at 4.30 and I'm out running eight miles. And then on Saturdays, I'll run anywhere from 24 to 26 at the height of my training. So probably a month or two before those two marathons, I was running like a marathon every Saturday. So Mm -hmm. when I got to the race, it wasn't, yeah, it just wasn't that big of a deal for me. I mean, not that it's not hard, but it's just, you know, I had trained for it. So I could even be, I could really race the marathon. So like in those last miles, I mean, I was really, really running. I wasn't dying, struggling to finish, you know, I'm passing people walking and all of that. And it was just, yeah, it was really a breeze. No water. I didn't eat any meat. I mean, it was great. Yeah. You know, another, another thing that I'm finding more and more interesting as like we've kind of started doing this podcast and, you know, getting to know Sean better too is, um, you know, my theory or I guess idea with endurance athletes and carbohydrate use has always been that um, that we're really overshooting the amount we need, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's less about maybe going all the way to zero and more about bringing it down to an appropriate level and kind of treating it more like caffeine, where like a little bit can give you this nice boost. But too much of it can kind of send you send things going haywire. Uh, uh-huh. But then, like my, because one of the reasons I've always kind of thought like is I've been doing like a high fat approach for almost seven years now. So I've kind of tried different things where I'd go like strict keto, like clinical definition of you know thirty fifty grams a day. And um, my my feeling with that was always like I felt great, like I could go all day long, constant en- consistent energy levels, quick recovery, and things like that. And really the only yeah. reason why I would ever bring back a little bit of carbohydrate would be when I'd get into this part of the training block where I would be hitting like, you know, sometimes upwards of 20 hours a week of running plus some strength and mobility work and things like that. And um, one thing mm-hmm. I kind of noticed is when I stayed down to kind of those clinical ketogenic levels, my, my pace or my heart rate at a given pace would start to kind of increase. Um, uh-huh. And uh, when I bring the carbs back a little bit, like nowhere near what you'd normally see in like an endurance protocol, I'm talking about like maybe upwards to 20% of my intake during some like pretty big sessions of training, uh, mm-hmm. I would notice like my, that heart rate and that pace would renormalize. Uh, and then I okay. would, so I do a couple of weeks of like kind of big, big training and I take a deload week. And during that deload week where volume and intensity drop back down, I would go back to those keto levels, kind of recover, reset like that huge fat burning engine a little bit and then kind of go like that. But, um, yeah, when we've talked to, uh, um, I'm trying to remember which guest we talked to about this, uh, it might've been, I'm trying to remember, but, uh, the interesting thing that kind of is a new angle on it that I hadn't thought of until meeting Sean was that keto versus the carnivore diet because in my eyes those are kind of two different things because people kind of think of carnivore as keto since you're eliminating the carbs but it's actually a lot closer to kind of that original atkins approach where protein isn't restricted because you know even a fatty cut of meat is like 30 percent protein so yeah 
Um, my thought is kind of wondering, like, maybe part of the reason why I felt like I had to bring some of the carbs back during some of those peak training is because I was keeping my protein at more or less a standard level of what would yeah. be advocated, you know, like somewhere between 100 grams, you know, at most 150 grams, where if I kind of relax that and let them get up to however high they're going to get, if I would just eat, you know, an appropriate amount of meat for my activity level, uh, yeah. the gluconeogenesis may take care of that carb need. And I feel like you're kind of an example of that. Yeah, yeah. And I've always thought we, you know, this whole thing of, you know, you always hear people talk about the amount of protein and stuff that we need. And, you know, you then you always have to question, well, where, where did we get that from? Like, you know, who did we test in, in, in order to figure that out? You know, most of these studies and stuff that you see were not done with zero carb subjects. So that mm -hmm. makes them already just a bit tainted. I mean, in the group, I mean, you if you think what I do is incredible, it's nothing compared to like Corita. The, she's in Portugal. She's an ultra runner or... Um, um, Gosh, what's, uh, I, I can see her face. I can't think of her name. Um, but she, like, she runs a marathon, like, every week, practically. She just did, like, a 12-hour, or Melinda Yelverton's her name. She just did, like, a 12-hour ultra. I mean, this person is running, like, all the time. And all they're doing is meat and water. And, you know, she'll get through with the race, and she's got this big plate of chicken wings piled up to the ceiling things like that i just think that you know the meat and all the repair and stuff that that you know amino acids do and all that i don't think we really understand our need for that you know and and just like you know we do this ad libitum just eating and the because i mean the more that you move the more um energy output that you have the more energy that you need i mean you need more energy intake and mm -hmm. then when you're just messing around with these macros and stuff i just think that you kind of do yourself a disservice there yeah hey charles let me sorry charles uh i know there's a guy i think his name is momo wald do you remember him yeah i know you've talked yeah, about yeah, him yeah, in the past. yeah so let's talk about, i don't know if zach knows who that guy is marathon champion yeah. yeah and so and his diet purportedly was very similar to what you were doing is that is that not correct yeah, that's what I heard. Yes, yes, yes. He was just a meat eater. And this guy, I think 1968, that was his first marathon. And the guy went out and set the world record. It was at, in Mexico City, but still, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a big altitude in Mexico City. That's pretty amazing. So, uh, Charles, and I, I want to... Go ahead. I was going to say, let me add real quick. And I read something over the years. I cannot find it, but I read something. Somebody wrote this article and it was about dehydration. And it was saying how, you know, how people like to drink when they run and all these kinds of things, which never works for me. If I have some water or something like that, it just upsets my stomach and I'm done. So that's one of the big reasons I don't drink, you know, and I don't drink before. I don't need porta potties and all that kind of stuff. But this article was saying that you know, dehydration is sort of the point. Like, you know, when you start mm. these things where there's endurance chase with animals or whatever that people typically didn't drink, you know, you started that way and yes, you kind of get dehydrated at the end, but that's okay because you can restore all of that later on. But during the activity that the point, that dehydration is the point, but I cannot find that article anywhere, but that's something that I've always sort of lived by and trained by. So I don't take any water or food during training or racing, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah, Charles, it'll be interesting because we're gonna have we're gonna have Tim Noakes on in a couple of weeks or in July actually. And and he wrote that, you know, he wrote a book called uh Waterlog and it talked about overhydration during during uh marathon races and, and the problems with hyponatremia that that were occurring. So yeah. actually athletes were dying. So it'll be interesting to pick Tim's brain about that stuff. I know he's known really big about in the low carb community, but he has he's such a wealth of knowledge on, on athletic performance, and we're gonna get into some of that with him. Let me just okay. kind of change gears a little bit, Charles, because you're such a wealth of knowledge. You've been doing this for you know, 10 plus years now, you've seen literally thousands upon thousands of people go through this carnivorous. Some of them do it successfully, some do it unsuccessfully. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different topics that come up all the time. I know your message is keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's it's simple works. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love that message. And that's pretty much what I do. Although I, you know, I have a little bit of tolerance for people experimenting. I let them, you know, figure it out for themselves. But I mean, you know, you've done it long enough. You're like, this works, this doesn't. One thing that always comes up, and I, and I always laugh, and I know you're going to laugh about this too, is but we talk about what about the blood type diet? You know, what about the type A people, <laughs> the type O people? Aren't you got you can only eat meat if you have O? What has your experience been with blood types and success on the carnivorous diet? Is it the only the O type people that are that are doing well, or is it every everybody seeing it equally? What's what's been your experience? Well, I'm an A plus first of all, and I'm not supposed to do well on it. And I think some of my other uh, veteran moderators are the same way. We're all A plus, so we're supposed to suck at this all meat thing. So um, we've just kind of found over the years that that never had any teeth, that it just wasn't true. Because I've seen people from just all walks of life, all different blood types, who did just fine on it. Yeah, and and, and again, you don't have unless I'm you know very very wrong in guessing, but you do not have Inuit blood. You're not from Scandinavia. You know, you're not this northern <laughs> origin. And have you seen that the only people that do well in this diet are people that are genetically from the north north part of the, the world? Or, you know, is that what you found, or you found a whole variety of people of different cultures and races and and ancestry oh, doing well? Tell us about that. Yeah, all low. I mean, this runs the gamut. I'm a country boy from Indiana originally. Um, you know, Kelly, who's been on here, what, uh, eight, nine years, she's from North Carolina, Dana's out in California, you know, we have international people on the forum, Israel, we have a sister group in Israel, that's, um, you know, Zio, uh, Todd, Todd Keys and his gang, um, they have people over there who do, and they just kind of have the same experiences that we do, you know, they eat the same thing, people try the same tweaking, the same mess, but it all comes back to the same thing. Yeah, and so I mean, what you're saying is you've got people that are that are of Asian descent, of African descent, yeah. of Scandinavian yeah. descent, descent of you know Indian descent, of anything. Uh-huh. They they seem to be doing yeah. well on this, irrespective of where they're. Yeah, I think I think from my and I put this out one time. I said the blood type diet for carnivore. If your blood is red, you got the right blood type for this diet. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, been my yeah, take that's on it. That. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you know so, what? An- another thing too that kind of connects with the the whole hydration thing that we were talking about before i think is like you know people i think just really drum up these psychological messages in their head and they convince themselves that it has to work or it has to be right and um you know it uh, you see it all over the place you know i'll see it in myself from time to time as well and um so folks if you're interested about the hydration stuff specifically too there was a they actually did a study on, I want to say it was the New York Marathon, where they took the winner, this was a few years ago, I mean, so he's running low two hours, and he mm-hmm. actually weighed, I think it was something like eight or nine pounds less at the finish than when he started, and yeah. he actually sped up at the end, and they were saying like he was starting to get dehydrated, but not to the level where it was really going to hamper performance, and it actually yeah. improved his power-weight ratio. Because he's not carrying around yeah, an extra yeah. eight pounds of water. I mean, imagine grabbing sure. two bottles that weigh four pounds each, 
and running with yeah. that, how much more difficult that would be. So there's yeah, like, yeah. there's obviously a crossover point, but, um, yeah. you know, it's not and bad to flip with it. Marathons, if you watch marathons, I mean, though the elites, they're just, they grab these water bottles or whatever, but they're like a quick little thing and they're throwing the thing to the side. They're really mm -hmm. not drinking very much. And I don't think the, you know, over time, the elites really, they don't spend that much time out there and they just don't drink that much. But you get these guys who are running, you know, four and five hour marathons and they're told to drink and drink and that's what they're doing. They're just drinking like crazy. And then you saw like the Boston Marathon a few years ago, the Chicago Marathon, where you had these people dehydrating and dying, hyponatremia and work. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's very running nutrition in general is just really horrible. People with uh, eating these these jelly beans and, and cookies and chocolate milk. And the, I mean, it's just the worst. And people, very, very intelligent people will sit there and claim that this is all energy food or power food. And it's just laughable. Like this is all junk food. Nowhere else in life is this acceptable. But in the running community, it, it's like carte blanche, you know, have all the sweet and sugar that you want. Gel packs. The whole. I mean, it's sickening. Yeah, I mean, that that is certainly, you know, again, you know, you wouldn't want to make a meal out of those things. And I think, you know, there are people that use it, try to use those, uh, you know, tactically, you know, from time to time. And I, you know, and I understand some of the thought behind that. But you're right. It isn't it is in no way a health food. And there's some thought that, you know, chronic ingestion of all these high sugar supplements to, to supplement training is, is ultimately leading to problems and in, 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 in even athletes. And, we're, and I think we, we start to see that. Charles, let me go on yeah. to another another just general topic. Uh that you know you've seen over time um and i've seen this dozens and dozens of, can you talk about some of the common medical issues that seem to resolve when people transition over to a to a to a zero car or an all meat diet what is what is what has been your experience that you've seen time and time again with uh, just basic medical issues that get better well t2 um we have a um, you know, not to beat our horn there, but Zio has such a, a, a beautiful history of, treat, of helping people with type 2. You know, they come to us and they, they, they're all worried about their, their blood sugar and their protein being too high and all that. And we just tell them to relax. Your blood sugar really isn't that high in relation to other things that we've seen. Just continue to eat and watch it. And over time, it's going to go down. We tell them when to measure it, you know, uh, postprandial and hour postprandial, and just keep watching those numbers. And you'll see over time that they go down. It's not the goal to have the lowest number, but you want a stable blood sugar. If you get it to around 100, even like the bears, and it doesn't move in and around the times you eat, you're now controlling your diabetes. And we see that so many times over and over. Uh, people with erectile dysfunction, you know, these male male things that people have, they come with the cholesterol of around 38 or 39, 37, right in there. Those things all improve. They start to go up. Women always have these gaudy HDL numbers as opposed to men, but it's the same trend that you see in both sexes. You know, they easy see these things all improve. People who come with that PCOS and, uh, you know, these issues. We, we have people who were exercising like fiends, women especially, who have no period, no menstrual cycle. You know, they come, they start ZC. We ask them to stop exercising during the adaptation phase. You know, do it for a few months before you go back into your exercise. They find that the, the menses return. They're able to have children, people who couldn't do that in the past. We've seen it so many times. Kelly is a prime example. Um, what else? Um, 
I know there's just so many you, you kind of forget, you know, over the years. We see it every day, obviously, on the forum, new people who have the same thing. But the thing that we're telling them is always based on experience and what we've seen. We don't try to go out of stuff that we haven't seen. We're not doctors. We can't give you medical advice. But, man, over a, dec- over a decade of doing this, you just see so many common things that the answer is usually pretty simple. Yeah, Charles, you 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 you'd refer to a couple of things. And I'm not sure anybody under you know under Sorry. <laughs> uh, understands the references. But when you said you know, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, you reference the bear. That's Owsley Stanley, who was the you know the kind of the eclectic uh, Grateful Dead sound guy that did a you know a zero carb carnivorous diet for something like 53 years before his untimely death in an auto accident. So he was kind of a big sort of a influential figure figure among many of these people yes. that have done this for a while. So he did it over over five decades with with pretty good health. Um, and then you talk about um, type 2 diabetes, which which is, you know, it's pretty obvious. Um, I'm just going to list off a couple conditions that I've seen, and you can you can confirm, like one of the big ones, arthritis. Have you seen people getting their, improving their arthritis symptoms? Absolutely, yes. What about What about mood disorders, depression, anxiety, things like that? Yeah, that's some of the first stuff to, to get better, actually. You see people with between one and three months and one and six months usually all reporting a better sense of well-being. Their anxiety is way lower. They're much nicer to people around them. They're optimistic. Yeah, that's that's a big one. What about things like autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, skin issues, things like that? Have you seen any any improvement with those things? Some things, yeah, especially like the the uh, like eczema. My daughter had eczema, so when we changed her diet to uh, all meat diet, hers improved dramatically. Whereas we went to all sorts of specialists, we did all sorts of medicines, all sorts of creams and rubs, and nothing really worked. But when we changed her diet, that was big. Um, there are some people who it, it it works much slower for. You know, they kind of struggle with it, and some people who report not much of a change. But overall, I think yeah, it's more people who report. Um, you know, clear skin and, and, and a reversal of those things than people who have problems. What about the, uh, you know, meat is supposed to be constipating. You're, you're never going to have a bowel movement. It's supposed to wreck <laughs> your, your it, it rots in your colon. We've got all that stuff. Right. And what, is, what has been your experience with digestive problems, particularly people with, with really bad digestive problems like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and the general oh, yes. sense of digestion? How does that seem to play out? Well, me, I, uh, I, this is TMI maybe, but I go every single day, every morning. I'm like, you could set your watch by it. Um, very regular. Um, I had a, a, a coworker. She was a boss, actually. Um, and she had IBS, and it was so bad that at night she couldn't lay down in the bed. She would have to sleep propped up on pillows almost upright, and she did this for years. She changed her diet, went to an all-meat diet, and within three months, she was able to lay down and sleep like a regular person. Okay, that's how much that cleared up for her. So, yeah, we saw that. We've seen that countless times, people improving those things. What about um, things – okay, here's a big one. Uh, What has been a general trend with regard to – because a lot of people – for whatever reason, for any diet, the, the, one of the biggest drivers for people coming to a diet is they want to lose weight. What has been your yeah. experience with weight loss? And I know, I'll tell you, my experience is, is a high percentage of people tend to lose weight, get leaner. There is a small percentage of people that, that does not happen to. Can you talk a little bit about the, that and, and when those situations occur? Right. 
Um, for for I, th- I think the overwhelming majority of people, they tend to lose weight. That happens the most. The people that you see online who uh, are really, really frustrated about weight and all of that, some of these are ones who come to our diet who restricted in the past. They were on this calorie-restricted thing where they were eating 1,200 calories a day or something like that. They lost all sorts of weight that way, which when you lose weight by restricting your food and and drink that's just the temporary condition that you're creating for yourself you're really not losing weight and i don't think enough people really understand that yeah you're you're the number on the scale is falling but you're doing so by catabolizing things in your body that you need you're losing mass you're losing muscle you're losing all those things so when you start to eat an optimal diet like our carnivorous one the first thing your body's going to do is repair itself so it's going to build back all that stuff that you fasted away so the weight gain can happen pretty rapidly for many people and then it'll start to tail off and then we'll see if they're able to stick with it and not lose the psychological battle of the scale then we see that this thing reverses over time and then they start to lose later or whatever is going to happen so that's sort of the problem that people have when you come to zc after doing something crazy your body is going to write itself first so those that's one category then you have some that you know, if, you, if you've been obese all your life, you come from a family that's obese and things like that, you've got that genetic history and stuff, you've got another challenge because this thing is progressive. You know, when all obesity and, and metabolic syndrome began, you know, you saw it like in the war years, for example, people were, you know, this thing is passed in families. You know, once a population gets above what... Um, you know, so many pounds of sugar per year per person, then metabolic syndrome sets in. It's not always weight gain, but it could be cancer. It could be diabetes. It could be any sort of thing. Everybody gets something, but that's what happens once it sets in. So once it sets in with each generation, that generation becomes a little bit more uh, sensitive to insulin. So then they're going to have a bit you know, much more of a struggle. So in my experience, people who've had that sort of background, it's been a lot tougher for them. But we've seen people who stuck with ZC for six, seven, eight years. The first four or five years, they really didn't lose any weight, but they just kept at it, kept at it. And then all of a sudden, year six, they report that up, they just lost 30 pounds. So we just really never know. And we always say ZC isn't really about weight loss. The battle is against metabolic syndrome. And you're able to reverse that and you're able to stop it in its tracks. So what? You might be 20 pounds heavier than you want to be, but you're saving yourself from so many other maladies that are also part of type uh, of uh, metabolic syndrome. So to me, that's more of the victory than just, you know, losing a few pounds. Yeah, I think that's a great message. And, I, and I, you know, you have so many people that, that want a quick fix. They want to lose. They want to drop those 30 pounds in, in, in three weeks, it seems like. And so they're not they're not willing to, to, to take uh, the the health implications. And I agree, you know, it's it's not just muscle loss. But, you know, we look at things in our body that are structurally, you know, particularly protein heavy. Even our bones are 40 percent protein, our internal organs, our brain, all those things when we see people as they get older you know, it shrinks as it's, as it's being basically auto, you know, cannibalized, you know, we kind of utilize and draw from that fluid as time goes by. And so when you, and you can restore that, we know like kidneys can dramatically get larger based on, you know, like if you, if you remove someone's kidney, you know, if you have a nephrectomy and you take someone's kidney out, you can watch their other kidney will actually grow in size significantly to make up for that stuff. So our kidneys and our organs can grow bigger. So that's, that's an additional source of weight gain that people, don't necessarily look at, you know, and, 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 you know, I think a lot of the people, they end up losing, uh, uh, you know, those, those internal 
structures rather than, than than the weight they need to lose, which would be excessive body fat. Let me um, let me add, let me just ask another kind of question that comes to this because this is again, and we when we put this in the context of health and normal human physiology and normal people. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just works out beautifully for most people. Now we have yeah. this subset of people that are, you know, just aesthetically very, uh, you know, uh, you know that that's what drives them. There are these these guys that want to have ripped abs and they want to be at six yeah. percent body fat, or women that want to get yeah. into this figure contest. To me, that's outside of normal human physiology. It's not a healthy place to be for many people. People that do maintain that are not very, they're not very happy and they don't feel very good. But I'm can you, can you, and, and I know you, and you and I, you know, I've seen you go back and forth with the guys that are like, we're going to be bodybuilders and this is how you do it bodybuilding. And I accept that if you're going to bodybuild it, you got to do things that are outside of normal human physiology. And I think that's yeah. where, where the disconnect is for some people. Cause they're always saying, well, this is what a bodybuilder does. Yes, that's what they do, but it's not, a, it's not necessarily a healthy practice. And if we're looking at long-term sustainability, you know, do I want to eat dry chicken breasts and broccoli for the rest of my life? Hell no, I don't want right. to do that. Right. Yeah. And so. Exactly. Well, let yeah, me ask and, you. And, and it's sad because people will see that. They'll see these people, you know, especially they're younger, you know, they've got good genetic history and this and that. They put on muscle easy. So they'll come in the group and, you know, they have this kind of experience and they're eating these un- in these unhealthy ways. And people want to go after that because they see it and they think, oh, I can be like that, too. And it always ends so bad. You know, fortunately, many of them will come back and they'll you know, start to kind of do it the right way. But it's really sad when you see it. And that's probably the bane of my existence. Every so often you get one of these guys who come in and they're not interested in health. They're just interested in cutting or, or whatever it is. And it's like, man, I don't have time for that. Yeah, that's, a, you know, an interesting thing because I know that uh, Sean kind of has said this before too. And this kind of is getting back to kind of just like the whole process of coming in and making it work. Uh is that um, when people come in with an initial goal, like they're coming, you know, zero carb carnivore lifestyle is far enough from what the norm has been uh, that usually the people who are coming to you first, I would imagine are people who are, you know, sick of being sick, who um, can't lose weight trying anything else. And they're just like, they're, 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 they're at the end of the line and they're like, okay, let's just give this a try. Um, Yes. And I think one of the most interesting things Sean has said is he's had people come and, and talk to him where they come in like, I need to lose weight. And they start the carnivore approach and they don't lose weight, but they stick to it. And yeah. that's interesting to me because what that tells me is that other things are improving that they didn't expect. Like they're redefining yes. what it means to feel good. Uh, otherwise, yes. they would have abandoned it, right? Because they didn't achieve the initial thing they went there for. Um, right. Yeah. So do you see that? Do you see that a lot where, um, cause I could also imagine it's gotta be frustrating for you when you see someone come in and not give it a fair shake and then say like, Oh, it didn't work. And you're in your mind, you've seen it happen so many times where they just didn't give it enough time to really, you know, set in. But, uh, I would imagine you've seen yeah. kind of both angles. Yeah, we see it a lot. And, and, and there's some really sad stories along that line. I remember, you know, we had a lady who was with us from like the very beginning when we had our own forum and stuff. And, you know, she's with us the first six, seven years. And she was always on it about her weight. You know, she just couldn't get down to what she wanted to get to. But if you saw her, 
you know, her face was skinnier, her fingers, her arms, her, you know, legs. You, you know, if you just saw a scene before or after pictures, you could just see an amazing improvement. You know, her, her, her skin was so much shinier, her disposition, just everything about her was just way, way improved. But to her, when she looked in the mirror, she just saw something that she didn't like. And so she was fighting this demon, you know, the whole time. And then, unfortunately, she goes off of ZC a few years ago, and then she goes into some sort of carbohydrate or uh, calorie-restricted thing where she's only eating 700 calories a day and all. And then somebody showed me a picture of her, I think, three years ago or something, and I just couldn't believe my eyes. She looked like she aged 30 years. I mean, it was just horrible to see. But that's the thing. You know, some people... They have this view in their mind. They want to look like a, a movie star. They want to look like somebody in their family or whatever, but they don't love what they're seeing in the mirror. And when you have that problem, that there's just not much you can do. You can ask them to eat properly. You can give them all the guidance, all the world. But the big problem is they just don't like what they're seeing. And that's a problem. We, it's very difficult to overcome that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a that's a that's a very important point. You know, there's there's a there's a point like, you know, even if you look at and again, I and again, I don't think the modern indigenous tribes that we can look at are necessarily the the perfect example of what normal human phys- physique and physiology is supposed to be. But they're a decent proxy. And you, and you don't see those guys looking like cover models or anything like that. They're they're lean. They're relatively healthy looking. They're not obese, but they're not going to yeah. step on the Mr. Olympia stage anytime soon. Let me let me right. ask you. Charles, because you've seen lots of people come and go, lots of people succeed, lots of people fail. What is the biggest mistake people are making when they come to this diet? And I know what I tell people. I want to hear what you you have to tell people as far as what do you think the the, the one or two biggest things they need to, to need to sort of just grasp to, to to help them be successful when they transition across. Don't diet. People just are afraid to eat. The, all these diets have people just afraid to eat. They, they, they come and they want to count calories. They want to count macros. They want to do all these things. Or they want to eat a whole bunch of fat and just a little bit of protein, And which is basically you're just kind of fasting is all you're doing, really. And, and you know, and, and they're trying to get this quick, quick weight loss sort of stuff. But failure to eat. Because you can only you can only torture the, the, the human body is wonderful. It can undergo many tortures and it can do it for a time. But there comes a time where the body just is like, hell no, I'm not doing it. And it's just going to demand that you provide some fuel. And when you do, those are the folks you see there. They're face down in some Benigeries or whatever it is because they just don't eat properly. But you must eat. You can't diet. If you're hungry, you got to eat. Some people, they, they come with this voracious appetite because now they're finally getting real nutrition and they're eating and they're scared because, man, they're eating three and four pounds of meat a day. And they say, oh, I can't keep this up. I can't keep this up. But if you keep it up for long enough, you find that your appetite will level out. You know, I started off eating a heavy amount, but after a few months, then it just sort of came down. Then I was able to eat normal. I can eat two or three pounds a day, depending on my, you know, exercise level, obviously. But that's really the biggest thing. You have to eat. You can't be scared of eating. You must eat. Forget all that you learned about calorie counting and all of this kind of stuff. Just eat. And if you do that, you, you're going to improve your odds at least 50% of actually making it. But And then another thing people do, they'll eat for the first maybe two or three months, and then they're losing weight and they're doing well, and then the weight loss sort of plateaus a bit, so then they stop eating So because they mm-hmm. want to help the weight loss out. And then it only becomes worse because now you slow your metabolism, you do all sorts of stuff, and then you're at a bad place. So you have to eat regardless of what it looks like, and, and that's, that's the biggest thing. 
Yeah, one of the things, because I get the same thing, Charles, what are my macros going to be? How much protein should I eat? And I said, the things you need to count are how many meals you enjoyed. You know, yeah. <laughs> I say, count how, many, count how many steaks you enjoyed. Enjoy the enjoy the food. Don't worry about that stuff. Just just make it about enjoying it. Be decadent about it. You know, love yeah. what you're doing. Enjoy the delicious food you're getting. And that's the only thing I tell people to count. I think that yeah. I think that's, that's pretty good advice. And then yeah. the other thing. And by is, the way, uh, can I add just Oh, yeah, go ahead. Thing. Go ahead, Charles. Sure. And, and there's no such thing as overeating. I believe I'm going to take it to my grave that I do not believe in overeating. I don't think that's true. I think the only thing that eating more food does is just determine when your next meal is going to mm. be. If you eat five pounds of meat right now, that means that you're not going to eat for a long time. If you eat one pound of meat, you're going to be hungry in a few hours. That's the only thing that means to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're saying that in the context of a, of a zero carb or carnivorous diet, you know. Yes, I mean, yes. you can overeat ice works. cream, right? It right. only works. Yeah, it only works in a ZC. Yeah, it doesn't work in any other context. Yeah, that, yeah, because I I've seen women, small women that are smaller than me, put you know put down four or five pounds a day, you know, or even in one yes. sitting, which is I think is is pretty amazing. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, and I yeah. I agree. That's you get my, these six pound guys come on the forum and they're eating like twelve hundred calories. Are you kidding me? You're a six you're, you know six foot guy. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's. I was going to ask you that too, Charles, because I think um, one thing that you probably differ a lot from from most folks is that you know your energy demands on any given day could be drastically different. I, I always try to square yeah. that away with people where I'm like, some days I might burn three times my resting metabolic rate, and other days I'm resting and I'm just burning my resting metabolic rate. So, do you notice sure. like your appetite behaves differently? Do you like find that like after a big effort, you also the next day want to eat more, or does it kind of how does that balance out? Yeah, it's sort of like that. I mean, when I'm in training, for example, I'm probably eating four to five pounds of meat a day. Um, during the week, probably more so, you know, I'll have that big run on Saturday or something, but it might take two days before I get voracious, but it will come. Um, and sometimes I have to tell myself because I'm not really that hungry, but I have to make myself eat anyway because I'm expending so much energy. And that's something that has to happen, too. You have to really eat in accordance with your energy output level. If you're not doing that, then you're just kind of setting yourself up for trouble. And, and it's hard to, to, you know, specify that. And people will say, you know, well, if I'm trying to lose weight and that's my goal, what are your recommendations? Well, mine is, is to cut the activity. Don't do nothing. You know, if you're, if you're scared to eat, you don't want to do nothing, then be sedentary and then just eat meat, drink water, and then you're going to be fine. You're probably going to lose more weight than the people who are slaving out in the gym. Just, you know, if that's all you're willing to do. But if you are willing to work out, you want to lift those weights, you want to run, you want to do whatever, you got to eat. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's what I find. I find that anytime my, my training uh, intensity goes up, my appetite very quickly goes up with it. I might find that I, you know, my, my baseline is about four pounds a day, but if I really have a boost in, in, in what I'm doing training wise, it'll pump, it'll bump up to five, six pounds pretty quickly. And yeah. I'm, and I'm and hungry it gradually, right? It just kind of, yeah, yeah it, 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 it kind of depends on, you know, what it's going, but it may stay up pretty high for a couple of days and then it goes back yeah. down and it's kind of depending yeah. on that. So let me ask you, this is an, another interesting phenomenon that people don't seem to seem to get is that many people, you know, when they come, you know, cause we come from, most people come from a background where you've got you know, 500 flavors of soda and 150 different types of potato chips and a thousand flavors of ice cream. And there's so much variety. And then you get there and you're going to say, well, you're just going to basically eat some meat. And they're like, well, what about all the variety? And they start out, you know, they want to, you, you know, they, they, the chicken and the pork and the eggs and the bacon and the, and the, and the, you know, the little bit of dairy and, and the different cuts and the, and, and, but as time goes by for many yeah. people, 
you find that you you start to auto restrict to what you really like and what works well for you, and, you, and you're very satisfied with that. Now I know that many people tend to gravitate towards some kind of red meat. Typically, it's beef. Uh, that's yeah. what I've seen. Now, I know in your case, you do you still include a lot of pork in your diet. Some people don't do as well with that. Can you speak to the, the fact that, that why do you think so many people gravitate towards, you know, kind of mostly red meat? What are your thoughts on on that, Charles? I think I know for me, um, thinking back, it's like beef was sort of the thing that just made me feel the best. And I think the whole diet was like that. You know, when I ate potatoes and things like that, it felt like somebody put an air hose to my stomach and it just pumped up with air. If I eat like some French fries or something like that, that's just kind of how you feel and you feel crappy. So when you start to get healthy, the first thing you do, you know, once that mental shift kind of occurs, you start eating the food that makes you feel the best, that gives you the most energy, the food that when you eat it, you're not hungry for six, seven hours. I mean, eating, I remember in the early going, eating was kind of a, a pain in the butt. Like, because I have to actually stop what I'm doing, all this new activity that I'm doing. I've, I've recovered old goals. I've, I've, you know, new things that I thought that I'd never do again. Now I'm able to do now that I've changed my diet. It's like, I don't want to stop and, and, and eat and fix food and all of that kind of stuff. So I began to gravitate towards the food that made me feel the best. So if I had a steak or I had some ribs or something like that, man, I, I would just feel great. And, you know, whether I exercise or not, I could eat those meats and stuff and always be at 100%. My weight didn't change. None of that stuff mattered. So that's sort of the big thing. You begin to sort of eat to live instead of that living to eat, you know, as the old thing goes. And I think that happens for so many folks. And then when you've been doing this for a few years, you sort of kind of come full circle. You know, now I can eat pork or I can eat chicken, I can eat fish. I still eat a lot of beef too, but it, it's not so critical anymore. As long as I'm eating meat, I'm usually pretty much the same. I can eat, like when I was on vacation in Bahamas, I think I ate fish all week, you know, and it was fine. It's not the same as eating a steak, but it was still fine, you know. Let me, uh, just a couple other topics, because I know, I know, Charles, you got to go, but there's so much good stuff out there that I... I got this about is 10 a, minutes. We're doing good. <laughs> this is another uh, real controversial topic, two topics, okay? One is, you know, there's people out there that, that have never done this diet. They're telling us, you got to eat organ meats. You got to eat nose to tail. That's the only way yeah. you're going to survive. Your experience yeah. with that. And then the other topic is, you know, this whole thing about grass-finished meat is so much better than grain-finished meat. And the only way you're going to optimize yeah. is if you eat grass-finished meat. Can you talk about your right. experience with people in both of those both of those topics, please? Yes, yes. The, the first one again, I'm sorry. About was, organ was, meats and eating, you know, every little meats, yeah. brains in the liver yeah, and the that, kidneys and eyeballs and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one was easy for me because I never liked organ meats. I mean, the only organ meats I ever had, like liver growing up, my dog got underneath the table. So that was kind of the big deal. I might have had a bite or two or whatever. <laughs> that was easy. When I read in Stefanson, Stefanson, that book, Not by Bread Alone, The Fat of the Land. If you are an inspiring carnivore, that is required reading. You should read that book. You can download it on our site or on the Internet for free. Um, but it's just a must read. It, it has so much history and so much stuff. They just debunk so many myths and stuff. But that's one of them. And and back in 1920s, when Stefanson was doing the all meat trial and all of that, those were the subjects of the day, whether too much protein or organ meats or all that happened to eat the entire beast. And he explains that very, very well, that they didn't do that. They cut the carcass in a particular way. And they I think he gives an example of like four or five animals. And he talks about in detail how they or they, they cut the carcass and how they divide it amongst the people. 
you know, back in those days amongst native populations, the big animals were what you want. Those are the ones that, you know, not this two year kills like we do today, but you're talking about um, old animals with all sorts of back fat. That's where the most the, the most meat was. There was muscle meat, there was back fat. That's the stuff that fed the community. You know, this animal, one animal, it's got only so many organs, only so many. So that stuff's not going to go very far when you're talking about a population of a lot of people. So when you just look at it from a historical standpoint, you can see that it wasn't enough to go around. And, you know, Stevanson says that they gave these organs that were supposed to be so high in nutrition value they gave them to the dogs and you know they and, and they kept giving them to the dogs until if there was famine that was enough then they'd eat the dogs themselves and that was kind of that but all that stuff's contained there in the book and it just shows you that the only people who ate organs were people who liked them if you like them eat them if you don't this is no big deal so muscle meat is is it and that's all i've eaten these last 10 years was muscle meat and that's all you need and the other thing the other subject real quick was what well, um, let me just comment on that, Charles, because oh, you were talking when you talk about Stefanson. For the people who don't know that, Vilmar Stefanson was a Canadian, an Icelandic Canadian explorer. He spent you know a decade up with the Inuit in the polar regions, and that's what he was observing these people how they ate. It's kind of interesting when we go back even farther in time. There's projections that we 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 lived off these big megafaunal animals like that, like the mammoth and the woolly rhinoceros, and we had these yeah. big animals. And so, how much of that organ meat we ate, I don't know. I don't think it was there, but certainly it's it's plausible that if they didn't, if, if we don't like it today maybe they didn't like the taste of it back then and maybe they weren't eating as much of it as we think they did because it wasn't necessarily times of famine when the megafaunal species roamed the, roamed the planet and there weren't that many yeah. people so we probably had pretty good opportunity to eat pretty well the second topic was grass finished versus the regular old grain supermarket beef you got to have grass finished or, or, or you're you're missing out what do you what do you say yeah. about that what's been your experience with the thousands of people you've seen so far yeah same thing people just don't understand they buy all of these things about antibiotics and, and, and sick animals and all of this kind of stuff. They watch these movies, you know, what the health and all that kind of stuff. Very damaging stuff. Not true. Most people don't seem to get that all cattle, at least in the U.S., is grass fed up until probably the last couple months of their life. And then they'll give them some grain to fatten them up for slaughter. It's as simple as that. So even your grain finished meat, we like to say grass finished, grain finished, because every cattle, all the cattle is grass fed. But it's just at the end, you know, to affect the taste and to fatten them up or whatever. I do a lot of work with the Pennsylvania Beef Council. Um, I've taken their course. I've got this MBA, Master of Beef Advocacy. So I'll put that out there. Um, some of my experiences, I've actually taken their courses and, you know, become certified. So I get to speak to the public quite a bit and, and sort of bring down some of these myths that are out there surrounding beef. You know, these people love their animals. They treat their animals with respect. They're kind to them. Feedlots, you know, veg vegans and PETA, they show all these ugly pictures and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you think about something like Pennsylvania, you know, we've got four seasons up here. Most of the year, nine months out of the year, it's not the pretty pasture that you see in your mind when you think of cattle out there. So if you're going to keep the cattle out nine months of the year in Pennsylvania, they're going to be standing in snow and mud and rain in their own uh 
you know, feces, things like that. And that's what the cattlemen and ranchers who love their cattle keep them from. They keep them in safe environments, warm environments where there's light, where there's plenty of food. They take, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't pay them to give you sick cattle to the food supply because it's not going to get by USDA inspectors and it's going to be bad and all of that. And they're not going to make any money. They're in this thing to make money and they love their animals and people just can't get their mind around that sort of thing. There's not some big conspiracy amongst ranchers to just sicken us. It's just not. And for every study that you can find about this, you know, excellent uh, profile of a grass finished animal, there are people who can also show you studies that show that the grain finished animals have a better profile. In our experience, I haven't seen anybody who only eats grass fed meat that's any healthier than me or Dr. Sean. I'm sorry, I just haven't seen it. And if you are healthier than we are, it's not by much and it's not worth the money that or the nasty taste that you're getting with this grass fed uh, product. So, now you're, you're, you're going to rile up some Australians and people in the UK by saying that taste trail. I mean, I, th- I think it's a taste, but there's certainly a difference in taste, but, and I agree, I, I prefer the taste of a grain finished products myself. And, and, you know, again, that's yeah. may, that maybe personal preference, but you know, yeah. and I agree. And I've talked to several cattle ranchers myself and, and those people passionately care about their animals. They're trying to do the best yeah, thing they can. And absolutely yeah. it, it is in no benefit whatsoever them to have a sick animal, whether they're grass, you know, finished or, or grain finished yeah. in a feedlot. It, it yeah. doesn't do anybody any good to, to produce sick animals and they do their best to prevent that. And so I think it's interesting. And one other quick thought. Stefanson gives a lot of talk in his book about, you know, this whole idea of acculturation and, you know, people eat what they're just accustomed to. What you were raised on is typically, you know, you know, most people aren't going to go that far from what they were raised on. So if you came up eating grass finished meat on the farm with your family, this and that, you're probably going to prefer that because that's what you're used to. And that's what you had. If you grew up on the grain finished stuff, you're going to you're going to prefer that, too, because that's kind of what you had. And you just can't. Some of these basic human things, they don't go by the wayside because we change our diet. Some of these things have to we have to give respect to them as well. And acculturation plays a very big part. And it's very difficult for some people to adapt to the all meat diet because it's just so far out from what they're used to. You know, they love the taste of these vegetables and all this kind of stuff. We don't know why, but you know, they <laughs> like the seasoning. They like the whatever. And Hey, it's hard to get them off of that. I get it, but we can't deny that that stuff doesn't have powerful sway over us. Yeah, I mean it's and it's very true. I mean, most people only their experience with food is what their parents ate and maybe what their grandparents ate, and that's all you have for an experience for 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 what food is. And and you know, like yeah. I said, if we if you and I were to go to Mongolia and talk about an all meat diet. You know, particularly in the rural areas, they say, yeah, that was Tuesday. You know, I mean, it's normal for them. You know, here in the right, U.S. Right. and in Europe, it's like it's crazy. It's, cra- it's completely crazy because it doesn't match our current cultural norms. But in real- reality, in the, in the context of overall humanity over time, I think it was a very normal state for, for much of the time, if not, you know, uh, significant periods of time. So I think it's you're, you're absolutely right on that. The cultural the, the culture of variety is something that, that has only existed for a very recent time. You know, even in Western yes. society, you, you go back even a couple hundred years and people are probably only eating a handful of different foods every day. And that's all they lived on. Now yeah. we've got yeah. we've got such variety that we think we have to constantly get a new flavor in our mouth or, or something bad's going to happen to us. And that's yeah, that's not the case. You know, and I think it's uh, it, it's something that uh, hopefully people can can kind of understand that. Um, yeah. And Charles, I write about that probably once a week. Like, you know, if you look at a primitive society. You know, like the Inuit, for example, the, the northern forest ones, or at least the uh, Coronation Gulf, their thing was either um, 
you know, they, they had like, uh, uh, gosh, I can't think of the animal, but the caribou, caribou. And they would subsist on this for centuries. It was just caribou, caribou and the water, whatever that they had. Now, if the herd ran away or whatever, then they might go to fish. And then they'd eat fish and fish and fish and fish until the caribou returned. But it was always what was indigenous to your environment. And you ate that one thing over, over, over again. All this stuff of variety this is a very new invention and people don't seem to understand that so when you come to a carnivore diet and you ask me well can i just eat beef every day well of course because that's what your ancestors would have done they would have just ate that meat until the supply was gone yeah i think that's absolutely absolutely correct it's kind of interesting when you talk about caribou i had a patient year a few years ago and i and i, and I won't talk about the details of her but she's a lady that she there's actually a movie about her called uh, the year of the caribou and she, her and her husband back in the 1960s moved up to remote Alaska. They lived by themselves completely, built a log cabin, and they lived for 18 years on just caribou. You know, that's yeah. what they lived on. And, you know, yeah. you know they might have got a berry here and there when it was seasonal, but they basically lived on caribou. And I asked her about that. And I said, how did you cope? And how was your health? And she said, it was the best health of my life. You know, mm-hmm. that was the absolute best she'd ever felt in her whole life, just eating nothing but caribou every day for 18 years, which I thought was very easy. There's, there's a movie called A Year of the Caribou. You can watch that and, 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 and see this gal because she, she was a patient of mine. So it's very interesting. Um, one last thought, Charles, and this, is a, this, might be a, this might be more of a semantics thing, but there is this big thing about fasting. You know, and I, and I always talk <laughs> about, I think I said, you know, God or whoever gave you an appetite for a reason because you're hungry, you need to eat something. But we talk about fasting. Now, what I find naturally on this diet for me and many other people is you kind of naturally fall into a pattern of infrequent meal eating. You might eat once or twice a day. And I think that's fine. And I think that's because you've eaten enough to where, you know, you're not hungry again. But people ask me, do I fast? And I say, no, I go a long time without meals often, but it's not fasting. If I'm hungry, I'm going to, if there's food there, I'm damn sure going to eat it because I think, and particularly if I'm only eating one thing, what say you about that particular topic? The exact same thing. You know, our definition of Zio fasting is when you deprive yourself of food when you're hungry. That to, uh, to us is a fast. If you just eat once or twice a day, once a day, whatever, but you're not hungry between, then you're not fasting. You're just not eating because you're not hungry. So I think that I'm 100% agreeing. And we have an argument about that probably on the forum at least once a week because somebody says, yeah, well, you're intermittent fasting. No, we're not. We just we're intermediate feasting. When we're hungry, we eat. When we're not hungry, we don't. It's as simple as that. No matter what that looks like, once or twice, once a day, twice a day, three times a day, four times a day, it doesn't matter. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Simple as that. Yeah, I'll find myself if I'm still hungry. I, you know, I might put down a. You know, it might be one of those days when I worked out hard. And I'll, you know, I'll eat my standard two pounds of a ribeye, and then like an hour later, man, I'm still hungry. So I go back out yeah. and go throw and another ribeye. I go eat more. I do that every single time. And then, and then I sleep better and I feel better. Cause if I, you know, if I, if I'm, you know, like I said, I, I say we have an appetite for reason, particularly when you're only eating one food, you know, what else is your body telling you? Why else would it be saying you're hungry? You know, it's not like, you know, yeah. you're, you know, you're not giving yourself nutrition. So I think it's very yeah, and interesting. And what lion have you ever saw sitting on a rock sitting there going, Hmm, am I hungry? Am I not? They eat. And when they eat, they're done eating, they go lay on the rock, they take a nap and they, they're not even, if a lion is full, you can run or ride in front of him, an antelope, a gazelle, whatever. He won't move. He doesn't give it the slightest thought. But when he's hungry, he's going to eat. And it's the same with us. When we're not hungry, you, we don't care about food. It's like the last thing on our mind. But when we are hungry, we're going to eat it. That's nature. I don't understand why that's a problem for people. Yeah, yeah I saw that. It's, oh, go ahead, Zach. <laughs> one of our previous guests, Vinny Tortorich, I remember a couple of years ago, he said something that was kind of interesting, I think, when it comes to that. And he said, 
never will you see a pride alliance where the mother lion brings all the cubs in at the end of the day and says, good job, everyone. You didn't eat anything today. It would be, right. that, that would be a loss. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a bad day. So like yeah. it's, it's when you put things in context and like yeah. really give your body what it needs, it's like the fasting will take care of itself. It'll just, like you said, yeah. it'll happen naturally. If you have a, you know, a big meal and eat five pounds of meat, then yeah, you probably just won't eat for a while. And then there's your fast. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the point you made about the lines is because I was in the Serengeti in, in Tanzania a few years back and I, we, we went out there and, we, and we, the guy was saying, you see that line, he's got blood all over his face. He said, you walk right up to it. He won't mess with you because he's full. He just he just had a big meal. So they're good. They're like, you're yeah. exactly right. They're like, we're, we're full. And the, the zebras were standing, you know, 20 feet away, just chilling out because they knew that that lion <laughs> yep. was full and they were safe. Yep. And so it's, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, it's kind of funny because we sort of as humans assume we're not still animals and we we're somehow right. above that. And we, we, we don't no longer the, obey the rules of nature or, you know, and, and I think it's just it's almost maddening because people have gotten so far away from, you know, how simple, simple nutrition can be that we've got to have a calculator to figure out how to eat. We have to have an app to figure out how to eat. We have to have a, a fit monitor to tell us how far to walk. I mean, it, it, it literally yeah. is becoming insanity. It's sick. Yes. Well, Charles, I'll tell you, I know you got to go and I want to thank you again. Yeah. It's been, I, I, like I said, I told Zach, as soon as we started, this, I said, I want Charles on here. He's going to be a great, he's just got such a wealth of experience. And I, and it's, and I think it, it pays to have people that, that experience counts for a lot. And, and, you know, the thing is, no, we don't have and don't understand all the science behind this stuff yet. And we don't for most no. things. That's, that's the thing that people don't understand. We think we know some science, but we don't know. We, we know far less than what we think we do about things. And I think the fact yeah. is, the bottom line is what works is what works, and we have to respect yes. that. Respect that fact. And when, when someone's been doing this for a decade, or longer, or you know, five years, or whatever, there's some there's some wisdom there that's been gleaned. Like I said, I would love to get some 80 year old Inuit woman up here on the show, oh, like yeah. speak her language, and say, <laughs> "What did you learn in those 80 years?" Because I think it would be totally yeah. revealing to us. And you know, it's interesting when you talked about how they butchered the animals and they threw away, you know, they gave the liver or whatever to the dogs. And I think that, that go that flies in the face what a lot of people are. You know, our, our, their preconceived notion about nutrition because yes. you got to hit you got to hit some magical RDA number uh, to balance out all your macronutrients equally. And I'm like, no, you need to eat until yeah. you're healthy. You know, and and whatever yeah. whatever that is, you know, and how you define health is is you know, I have I have a way that I think makes sense. There's other people that say they define health by a certain set of blood values. I think that's insanity, yeah. also. But uh, yeah. anyway, Charles. You guys are about to hit twenty thousand. Congratulations on the group. I know you're getting more work. You know it's been growing. You know, it's been growing, and partly I, I probably to blame a little uh, for a little of that stuff. But and I apologize yeah, in advance for making any work for you guys. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I will encourage anybody. You know, and I've got a, I've started a little carnivore group called the World Carnivore Drive. But go to Charles' group as well. Zeroing in on health, I think there's great resources, great information there. People have been doing this for ten years plus, and uh, you know, for for those and, and and you guys don't play around. It's like this is the way it is. It's simple. You know, and if you want to do it that way, that's where you get the information. You know, there's other people who want to do different things and, and experiment. And I think that's fine, too. But I think for, for the people that are like, I really want to be just carnivore, that's an excellent place to go. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Charles, any other any any parting words of wisdom from a guy who's done this for almost 11 years? Any other last bits of thought? 
Uh, no, I think, you know, really, like you said uh, at the very beginning, we just really try to keep it simple. We're not trying to be mean to people who come and want to ask questions and explore everything in the universe. But, you know, what the thing that we found is this life is just too short. And I don't want everybody to spend all their time on the computer researching or thinking about food and macros. I want people to live a life. I love to see when people come and they change their diet and they get healthy again and they just start picking up those passions. They're dancing, they're playing tennis they're you know running marathons they're just doing whatever it is that they want to do because they can it's like kids you know when kids went out to play when you were little you didn't go because you were trying to burn calories you went because it was fun you wanted to play and you played all day until the street light come on and your dad or mom told you to get in the house and you went reluctantly you know now folks don't want to go out stuff and it's not because they're on their phones or because this or that they do that because they're unhealthy if you can return your health to you you'll find that you want to move more. Exercise doesn't make you healthy, but exercise is the function of a healthy body. When you get your health together, you will move. That's what happens. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. And that's the only reason I stay around this stuff is because I never get tired of seeing people recover their life and go out and do the stuff that they want to do. And it's just a beautiful thing. So please just keep it simple and, and just watch what happens. It's an amazing thing. You don't have to understand it all. Let your body tell you. You eat properly, your body will clearly communicate to you whether this works or whether it doesn't. Those are awesome words, parting words, Charles. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll definitely link to all of your channels on the show notes too so listeners can come find um, Zeroing In On Health as well as find you on Twitter and things like that. Okay. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Charles, I think we'll, we'll, this will probably be up. Zach will probably say a week or so, maybe something like that, depending on we got a couple. We've got a couple in the hopper, so we'll put you out there. I'll let everybody know on Z-I-O-H about it. I'm, I know they're going to love listening to this, and I'm glad to get you. I know you don't do a lot of these, and I know you don't do a lot of social media, so I really appreciate you kind of stepping out and, and, and honoring us with your presence here. Uh, we really appreciate it, Charles. Hey, you guys are the best. All right. All right. All right. Have a good day at work, Charles. Take care, Charles. Okay, thanks. Take care. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at hpopodcast at gmail.com. That's hpopodcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me at ZBitter, that's at Z-B-I-T-T-E-R, and you can find Sean at SBakerMD, that's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram, where you can find me at ZachBitter, that's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R, and for Sean, it's at SeanBaker1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast.